Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. We are made to worship Jesus. Amen? What a crazy thought. God come to be in the flesh. Pretty amazing. I'm glad you decided to celebrate it with us uh, this Christmas, and thank you for being here. If you're a guest, we're glad you're here. If you're a regular attender or a member, we're super glad that you're here. I hope you've had a great Christmas season already. Just think about some of the traditions that you've done. Maybe you've gone and driven around and looked at lights, or maybe you kissed somebody underneath the mistletoe. You've probably decorated a tree. Maybe tonight you're going to exchange some gifts. How many of you movies has been part of your Christmas traditions? How many of you watch Christmas movies? Yeah, all right, that's good. About 80, 90% of you. Some of you won't raise your hand no matter what I ask. I totally get it. Glad you're here too. But uh, I think about, like at our house, I didn't want to make this a controversial service, but I'm going to let you in on an argument we've been having at our house. We've been arguing about what constitutes a, a Christmas movie. And so, you know, we watch Home Alone, we've watched it 10,000 times, everybody knows all the lines in that. For some reason, my kids like Christmas with the Cranks. I am not my favorite, but it's there. Um, I told some people in the first service that I've never seen a miracle on 34th Street. And they did that, judging me, like what in the world? But somebody at our staff Christmas party, so you can try and figure out who it was, told me that that's not actually a Christmas movie. Mm, ooh, somebody's offended already. Now we're rolling. All right. I like that. And so the other day, I was at the dinner table with our family. I think it was Monday this week. And uh, we were talking. And I was like, you know, we've watched Home Alone so many times, watched Christmas the Crank, watched all these movies so many times. Here are some other movies that we could watch. And I said, tonight we're going to watch a movie we've never even watched as a family together before. And I'm telling you, it's a Christmas movie. It's going to be epic. My two oldest kids roll their eyes like, oh, Dad, what are you trying to make us do? My wife said to me, you are not going to have our kids watch Die Hard. (laughs) That wasn't the one. That wasn't the one. And so we started to discuss what this movie would be. And I'll tell you what the movie is in a minute. But before we do that, there's a few that I want to suggest to you to consider. Could they be Christmas movies? Have you ever thought about this one? What about Toy Story? don't, Don't judge too quick. Hold on. Remember, at the end of this movie... There's a tension point for the toys, a tension point Buzz Lightyear's never experienced before because there's about to be new gifts. It's Christmas at the end of the movie. And so remember Woody says to Buzz, because Buzz is stressed out about this, is there going to be a toy that he likes better than me? And Woody says to Buzz, what could Andy possibly get that's worse than you, Buzz? And he gets a puppy. Christmas movie, yes or no? All right, definitely not on that one. What about this one? The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Ooh, I hear mixed reviews. Let's think about this. They play it at Christmas time every year. There's a lot of snow. Remember they say in the movie, one of the main characters says in the movie, it's always winter but never Christmas. Ooh, there's anticipation of Christmas. And there's a Jesus figure, unlike most of your favorite Christmas movies. Thank you very much. Judge, judge, judge. <laughs> Is it a Christmas movie? Yes or not? Ooh, kind of mixed. All right, here's the one that we were, we were discussing at my house. This is the one, it wasn't Die Hard that my wife was telling me not to show, but instead it was Rocky IV. Have you thought about that one? If you don't remember this movie, then what happens is there's a Russian, Ivan Drago. He comes in, I must break you. Remember him? He's the strongest boxer they've ever experienced before. He comes, Apollo Creed is going to fight him. He fights him, he dies in the fight. And then Rocky decides he's going to fight him. And he fights him on what day? 
Christmas Day, come on, are we feeling it? Are you seeing it? At the end of the fight, he says, Merry Christmas to his son. He's fighting in Russia. His son's back in America. He said, there's lots of snow, so there's that. And he says, Merry Christmas. And he tells his son to go to, he doesn't have any concept of time zones. He says, go to bed, you know, and the deal. So don't tell me your answer yet. You guys can argue about this after the service. But I'm going to tell you what happened with my family. I said not to tell. You just said no. Come on now. I have a split decision at our house. Not that it was a boxing movie, but it's a split decision. Two kids went upstairs. They didn't watch the movie with us, so two oldest kids. My two youngest kids watched the movie. Janie, my 12-year-old, said, Dad, just because they say Merry Christmas does not make it a Christmas movie. I said, it's on Christmas Day, honey. And we start arguing back and forth. She said, it did not have the Christmas message, not the Jesus Christmas message, not even the world's Christmas message. They didn't even exchange gifts. And so she leaves, feeling slightly heartbroken. My 10-year-old walks over, gives me a hug, and says, Dad, I think it's a Christmas movie, which I think was just sympathy. But as I thought more about it, there were some themes. I hadn't watched that movie in a long time. There were some themes in that movie that I forgot were there. Like when Apollo Creed, and and if you watch the movie, what you see is it's been five years since he's even boxed. He's what many of us would consider a washed up athlete. And he's feeling that. And so he decides when when Ivan Drago comes into town, he's going to be the one to fight him. And he goes over to Rocky's house and Rocky and his wife, Adrian, are trying to talk him out of it. And then he looks at Rocky and he says... It's not like you can just turn it off. We're warriors. We were made to fight. We have to be in the action. If there's not a challenge, if there's not a war, we may as well be dead. Then he fights and he dies. Then Rocky, maybe to avenge his friend, maybe because he just knows he's next man up, decides he's going to fight Drago. And he comes back home and he's talking to Adrian, his wife. She says, you can't win. Don't fight him. Why can't you change? Why are you doing this? And he says, I'm a fighter. It's what I'm made for. And I wonder if you've ever asked yourself the question, what are you made for? Like over the next couple days, there'll be tinsel and lights and trees and presents, but at some point in the next few days, maybe because you're having a break, maybe because you're wondering if there's more than just this Christmas experience, you're going to ask yourself, what am I made for? And the Christmas story tells us the answer. And so what we're going to do tonight is I'm just going to read through a passage of Scripture from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Pastor Brad was reading from one of the children's Bibles, the same story that he just read in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to make two observations and one conclusion, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. If you've got a Bible, it's going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the verses up on the screen. But in Luke chapter 2, what's happening is a very familiar Christmas story, but if you just read it for the raw story that is in the Bible, you'll realize that we sanitize it in America. Maybe to make it family-friendly, maybe because we don't think people can really handle the truth of the story, but this is a scandal. It's not just a scandal because there's a 14-year-old girl who's pregnant and she's not married. That would have been a scandal in that time. It's not just a scandal because her husband was considering divorcing her and she could have been stoned to death. That's kind of scandalous. It's not just a scandal because he doesn't divorce her. It's a scandal because the creator of the universe is coming to become part of his creation. God is becoming a man. Look at it with me in Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, we just read past that name, figure he's a powerful historic figure. Uh, His birth name was not even Caesar Augustus. It was Gaius Octavius. In fact, he had several names that kind of evolved throughout his life, and one of them was that he was the chief citizen. Another one that came about was that he was the high priest. Another one was this one here, Augustus, which means that he's the supreme ruler. 
In fact, if you read history, you'll find that in uh, 12 BC, there was a comet that went through the sky. It was Halley's Comet. But he said, look, that's my father ascending into heaven. And he proclaimed himself at that point, the son of God. To which people eventually called him the son of God. They celebrated his birth as a special birth on September 23rd. It was the new year. And many people began to call him the savior of the world. And what did he do? Look at what the passage says. He issued a decree. And what is the decree? That the whole world should be registered. Or uh, as Pastor Brad's passage said, a census should be taken. Well, we oftentimes think that just means being counted. But in that time, a census meant that you came and gave an account for your life. Some people believe even a moral account. So try and imagine for a moment that you're a 14-year-old girl who's not married, who's pregnant. The supreme ruler of the world, some people say the son of God, is calling you to give a moral account for your life. Do you know what the Bible tells us? In Hebrews chapter 9, it's appointed for each one of us to die. And after that comes judgment. And we're going to stand before the supreme ruler, only his name's not Caesar Augustus, it's not Gaius Octavius, it's Jesus Christ. That's who the rest of this passage is actually about, God in the flesh. This was the registration of Quirinius, who was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I wonder what that looked like. And they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David, not Caesar Augustus, but three names, a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. His name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. It doesn't matter which character in this story you look at, what you'll find is that the unexpected took place. You could take Mary with her unexpected pregnancy. You could take Joseph with an unexpected situation in his marriage. You could take Caesar Augustus with an unexpected rival to his kingship. You could take these shepherds who would be unexpected people to receive this news. They obviously weren't expecting Mary and Joseph at the end. There was no room there. It's a continual story of things that were not expected. And so the first observation I want to make for you is simply this, that God uses the unexpected to get you to what you were made for. God uses the unexpected to get you to what you were made for. Unexpected simply means it's not as planned. It could exceed expectations, it could be below expectations, or it could just be different than your expectations. It's something that you had planned out and it went different than that. And we've probably all experienced that before. In fact, some of you are about to experience that with gift exchanges. Have you ever been given a gift that you either didn't want or didn't expect? I got an email, and just try and imagine what it's like to be a pastor for a couple moments. We get emails all the time. Um, Most people have an interesting take on things that could have happened over the past two years in the pandemic, and so I'm a little PTSD on emails, just so you know. And I get this email that's titled, The Danger of Small Group. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be fun, right? And so I click on it. The first line says, get in a small group, you said. Do life together, you said, from the pulpit. And I'm like, oh boy, what's, what is, what, what's my fault right now? 
And what happened was, it was actually a fun email from a couple in our church who's been here for years that went to a white elephant gift with their small group and went over to the host family's home. And when they got there, if you've ever been part of a white elephant gift, you know your expectations are like, best case scenario, you're leaving with a Yeti mug, right? Worst case scenario, fruitcake, right? Like just throw that trash away, whatever. If you bought me fruitcake as your pastor, I love you. I'm not eating it, just so you know. But anyway. So this couple goes to the white elephant gift exchange. The husband goes and grabs the gift. It's a little heavier than he expected. Goes back, unwraps it. It's two goldfish in a bag. <laughs> now what does he do? And so they did request that I let you know that they want it to be church policy. We can talk about this some other time. That you can't give any living creatures as gifts anymore at these exchanges. Because they went home and they read about these particular goldfish can live for several decades. <laughs> I don't know what they expected at this white elephant gift exchange, but I'm pretty confident it wasn't like a three-decade commitment that they were getting themselves into. This didn't go as expected. What about for you? A lot of us have expectations, even what will happen in this service. I read an article this week I thought had an interesting quote. It was talking about Christmas and trees and gift exchanges and all that. John Bloom said this, we tend to fill our Christmases with all sorts of expectations. But the biblical pattern teaches us that Jesus is not particularly concerned with our expectations and may ignore them altogether because he's mainly concerned with our most desperate needs. In other words, God's primary concern is not your expectations of him, of life, or of you, but he is concerned with your needs. And what you see in this story is everyone experiences the unexpected. Caesar with a rival king, Mary not expecting to be pregnant. How about going on a road trip when you're about nine months pregnant? Does that sound fun? Anybody? Anybody? No female voices came out of the audience. No. That's right. Let me tell you, every once in a while as a pastor, I'll do uh, marital counseling. And when I'm talking to a young couple, you know what? I would never suggest a road trip in the first year of your marriage. It's a bad idea because it's going to be a fight. Trust me, I've been on enough of them myself. And do you notice there's not a donkey in this story or a minivan? She's walking. We make up the donkey because it sounds so terrible just to walk 100 miles. From Nazareth to Bethlehem? That's awful. Not expected. Shepherds, not the people you'd expect to get this news. In fact, shepherds were so unclean, they weren't allowed to go to church. Hypocritically and ironically, they did, however, take care of the very sheep that would be used in the sacrifices at church. And so you can look at all these different people through here, and you know what you end up finding out? God uses the unexpected to accomplish his own objectives. God uses the unexpected to accomplish his own objective, and his objective is to get you to himself. And you can look at it not just in the birth story, but all through the Bible. Remember that quote said, the biblical pattern. Would you have ever expected that the first person that Jesus tells he is the Christ is the woman in John chapter 4, the woman at the well? That's what he does. The anticipation of the Messiah is that he'd come and he'd be a political leader and then he'd overthrow Rome's rule, that he'd confront the Roman leaders, but instead he comes and he confronts the religious leaders and their hypocrisy. Not what people expected. Do you know what I can tell you for sure? If you've never read the Bible and had never heard of Jesus, you'd never come up with the cross of Christ. Do you know how I know that for sure? It's because every other world religion is man's attempt to get to God. But Christianity shows us that God came to us. That is the Christmas story, amen? It's God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, not what we would have ever expected. And I don't know what you have planned over the next couple days. You've got a couple days off probably, and, and you probably hang out with some family or, or talk to some different folks. I promise you the plan's not going to go as you expect. 
In fact, most of my best memories from Christmas are when surprises take place. I was talking to my mom just yesterday, and she was blown away that I remembered something from when I was eight years old. And I think, Mom, how, how could I not have remembered this? One of my best Christmas memories came from when I was eight years old, and we used to all go over to my grandma's house for Christmas Eve. My mom has several siblings, and so there are a bunch of cousins, and we'd go to grandma's house, and I don't know what they did in your family, but all the cousins got the, if based on age bracket, got the exact same present. So I don't know if my grandma was into socialism or what, but it wasn't based on who's naughty and nice. Trust me, and I got nothing, but whatever. We went, and if my cousin Jason got a pair of socks, I got the exact same pair of socks. If he got a book, they wanted us to be nerds, and kept giving us books, he his book. And so I get the socks, I get the books. I remember this year, I got a black truck. The black truck was awesome. It carried other cars on the back of it. I'm playing with it. I'm sitting in the living room, playing, got wrapping paper all around me, playing with the black, no interest in the socks, no interest in the books, playing with the truck. And I look into the dining room and the adults start acting crazy. But adults can be weird, right? And so I'm looking in there. Adults are throwing what they're drinking at the window. Then I see somebody throw a blanket. What happened was my grandma decided to burn a real candle in her window. The curtains caught on fire, straight up the wall. I didn't see the flames until the ceiling was actually on fire. And when the ceiling was on fire, my mom came running towards me. I'm sitting with wrapping paper all around me. It's a critical moment in my life because I have to decide now what presents to keep and what presents to leave. I grabbed the black truck, not picking the socks, just so you know. It was the most amazing Christmas ever. Sorry, Grandma, about your house, but it was awesome. The fire trucks, red lights, blue lights, the police were there, guys in uniforms giving us blankets. It was so cool. I don't know how my mom thought I could ever forget that. But you know what I learned? When the unexpected happens, we cling to what matters. We were designed to cling to God, but do you know what happens for 100% of us as we go after creation? Romans chapter one says it like this, that we are made to worship the creator, but instead we worship the creation. That's called sin, and it separates us from God. But God's got a very intentional plan to get you to himself. And so while things seem unexpected from our perspective, God's being incredibly intentional from his, which is our second observation. God is incredibly intentional in getting you to what you were made for. And look at what he does with these shepherds. I left off in verse 11, but look at verse 12. And this will be a sign to you, to the shepherds. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. That's kind of a weird promise if you're not familiar with the story. Why would there be a baby wrapped up laying by animals? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And not peace from Caesar Augustus, not Pax Romana that you've been beaten into. And on earth, peace among not everyone, those with whom he is pleased. Now, if you're a gift giver, you know that it's not just the gift that's important, it's also how you present the gift. So some of you will have conversations tonight about, all right, we gotta give these in the right order, number them, because if you give that gift before this gift, then they're gonna know that, and so you gotta, it matters how you present the gift. Some of you will hide a gift and let the person feel, so. how evil are you? Let the person feel disappointed and then pull it out right at the right moment is the plan. Like, you know that how you give the gift matters. You see, God's been so precise in how he's presenting his son Jesus. The New Testament says it like this in Galatians chapter four and verse four. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. She was human. She was a virgin because that was promised 
700 years earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, precisely as God promised at exactly the time when He promised, historically, geographically, and theologically at the exact right time. Born to people who had heard of the Messiah but were wicked enough and hard enough in their hearts to murder Him at just the right time. Had been promised since Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 when sin entered the world, but don't worry, God has a solution. He's sending His Son. Who is this Son? He's going to come, Genesis chapter 12, through the line of Abraham. 2 Samuel chapter 7, not only through the line of Abraham, but someone through the line of Abraham, the line of David. And then we read in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus is from the line of David. That's why he's in Bethlehem, the city of David, precisely the way that God designed it. Matthew chapter 1, through the line of Abraham, that we read this genealogy. God's been planning this out for thousands of years, how to present this gift. And then he comes and announces it to these men, these shepherds. And he gives this weird promise. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's really strange. But you know what happens? They go. And it's exactly like God said. Because God is intentional in getting us to himself. And he knows exactly how to reach these shepherds. And he knows exactly how to reach you. I saw an article yesterday. Somebody had tweeted uh, this line, which caught my attention. I don't know if you know who Bill Maher is, but he's not known as a Christian. In fact, he would say that he's an atheist. Bill Maher leads promiscuous, cocaine-dealing atheists to Christ. I was like, okay, I'll click on that. I click on it. I go to watch a video. The video is of a man. His name is John Joseph, if you want to look him up. And he's telling a story about how he grew up surrounded by sin and committing a lot of sin. And by the time he got to college, he was involved in drugs and started selling cocaine. Talked about his lust and his greed and his lying and his using people and every sin you can imagine in his life objectified everybody, thought he was the center of the universe. I was trying to find something to watch one night and got Bill Maher's documentary, Religiousless. And he watched it and was offended because of his biases. He didn't think it was a fair argument. And so he started watching debates online about Christianity. And as he Googled these things and watched them over the next two years, the debates deconstructed everything that he believed. One of the resources he found online was a website called Desiring God. And he listened to a sermon by a guy named John Piper. Pastor Piper had prayed before the message started, the same thing I prayed over this room as we were singing tonight, that you'd bring at least one person out of darkness and into the light. And John said he was that person that night. And he said, five minutes into his message, I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I was not only deserving of hell, but I was headed there, but that Jesus Christ had taken that penalty for me when he died on the cross for my sins. And he said, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. God knew that that guy needed someone mocking Christianity to get him to Christ. And he knows what you need. Because you know what you were designed for? You were designed to worship Jesus. That's what we see the next part of this passage, verses 15 through 20. I left off in verse 14. Pick it up in verse 15. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, that was awesome. Can you believe that happened to us? It's not what they said. Look what they said. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph exactly what God promised. And the baby lying in a manger. That's so weird. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And look at how the masses respond. And all who heard it wondered, but they didn't all go, at what the shepherds told them. Contrast, but Mary treasured up, it's personal to her, all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned. What are they doing? Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They're worshiping. You know why? Because we're all worshipers. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, everybody worships all the time. Go to a sporting event. If you don't think people worship, watch crowds throw their hands up when something happens. Go to the mountains, go to the ocean, see a beautiful sight and watch people overwhelmed as there's a longing in their hearts for something more than themselves. Go to an art exhibit, eat a great meal and listen to people praise the chef. We were made for praise. Go to a concert and watch teenagers flock around a teen idol hoping to be sweat on. That's weird. But what we're doing is we're saying they're worthy, the thing that I treasure is worthy, that's worship. The problem, Romans 1. We worship creation rather than the creator. But see, the reality is we all, we all have a longing for more. The Bible says it like this in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, verse 11. God has planted eternity in our hearts. We all want more. Problem, we're also all sinners. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, for all have sinned. All. Universal truth. So two universal truths. One, we want more. Two, we're separated from God. That's a problem. Do you know the good news? Is this baby in the story that we're reading about? He's not just a a meek and mild baby. He's a warrior. Remember those boxers said, I'm a warrior. I was made for this. Listen, Jesus is a warrior because he came and defeated an enemy you couldn't defeat. Sin and death. Listen to how the Bible says it in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were, not once we cleaned ourselves up, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what a sinner is? That's an enemy of God's. I don't know what movies you'll watch as you wrap presents tonight or over the next couple days. There will be heroes. Oftentimes the best stories are actually a copy of the gospel. Some of those heroes will die trying to save people. But how often do you see the hero dying to save the villain? That's what this verse just said, and you're the villain. Because you're a sinner, God's wrath is coming against you, and Jesus Christ died for that. But God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were still God's enemies, sinners. Christ died for us. So what do we do? A little bit later in Romans, it says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you surrender your life to him. It's not Caesar Augustus. It's not your job. It's not your family. It's not your church. Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Here's a promise. You will be rescued, delivered, saved. Why? For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. I told you I'd give you an opportunity to respond. I want to keep my promise. Now's that moment. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. If God's been speaking to your heart tonight and you didn't realize who this baby is, not just a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, but could be for you and your story. A Savior, Christ, the Lord. And you want to be saved? You want to be rescued from your sin? You want a new life in Christ? Like I mentioned that John Joseph had, realizing you're a sinner, you're on your way to hell. We're an enemy of God's, but Jesus dealt with that problem. That's why he came. Not so we could have a story and we could tell stories for thousands of years and give gifts to each other. He died so that you could have the gift of eternal life, but you have to receive the gift. And you do that by doing what Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 said. Confess Jesus as Lord, surrender your life to him, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you believe that and you want to ask him to be your Lord and Savior, 
will you pray this prayer with me right now? And I'm just going to acknowledge sin and ask Jesus to be my Savior. And you can pray it in your own words or pray this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And maybe you even start to list off some of those sins to him, confessing them to him, telling him he already knows, but you acknowledging it. And right now, tonight, I want to ask your son, Jesus Christ, to be Lord of my life. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. And right now, I want, I want to ask him to rescue me from my sin, to save me, to forgive me. If that's you, you say it in your own words, or say the words that I just said. If you're at home or you're in this room, then this is the most important moment of your life. Don't miss this moment. You've got to change your eternity in this moment. And Father, I pray for those here that have already placed their faith in your son, Jesus. You've given us reason to worship. You've given us reason to worship your son, Jesus, not because of a sweet story from a long time ago, but because you've brought us into the story, that you've saved us, that you've changed us, that he is not just the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, but he's our Savior, our Christ, our Lord, and that you would enter into your creation, that you would put on flesh, that you would live the life we couldn't live, and you'd die the death we deserve to die. We worship you. And Father, I pray for each one of us that's believers in this room, that you'd spur us on to worship, not just with songs in a moment, but with our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.